What kinds of things do you pray for? Around or however you pray, what do you say to God? Do you have a prayer list, a prayer app, prayer cards, a journal, a Bible? What do you say to him? What do you ask him? Well, if you haven't already turned there, we're in Matthew chapter 6. We're continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount, and we're in the midst of three weeks on what's often called the Lord's Prayer. So last week, we began our study. We'll continue today and tomorrow. These three weeks, or next Friday, these three weeks, we'll be speaking about prayer. And it's always hard for me to talk about prayer because I always get convicted. I don't know about you, but I always get convicted when I talk about prayer or when I teach on prayer because I always realize I don't pray enough. It's easier for me to study. It's easier to reply to emails than to pray. It's easier for me to to do chores. It's easier for me to eat a salad for lunch or even to go see the dentist. It seems like just about everything is easier for me to do than just to stop and to pray. Last week we saw at the end um, of, of, of the sermon, we saw that we are to pray to our Father who is in heaven. If by the end of the sermon last week you felt convicted and concerned about your prayer life, that's a good thing. We should want to pray more. Because that's why we were created to be in a relationship with our maker. We were made in in the image of God to be in a relationship with him. So every resistance that we have to prayer is a resistance to the very purpose for which God created us for. Prayer is not our last resort when nothing else works. It's our first defense. It's where you go first in the good times and in the bad times and on every occasion in between. And last week we saw that prayer starts by acknowledging our Father in heaven. Well, today Jesus is going to tell us what kinds of things should be included in our prayers. Today we'll look at the first four of six petitions or requests. We'll look at the last two next week. And if you're taking notes, my points are really the four petitions themselves. So what we'll do is we'll take each of the four petitions one after the other. So if you have your Bibles, we'll first start at the end of verse 9 there in chapter 6. The first petition in this prayer is, Lord, hallowed be your name. Before we get to any requests for our needs, even before we have concern for others, we start with our concern for God. What does it mean to hallow something? Well, that's a a difficult word. It's an old English word. We don't use it in our everyday conversation. To hallow means something is to be set apart, to be treated with respect. It's used here because the original Greek is trying to state in the most powerful way the idea of treating something as sacred and ultimate. It's a stronger word than we use in our normal, everyday English vocabulary. This is a prayer that God would glorify himself above all things in the earth and in our lives. 
To make something hallowed, then, it means making it your ultimate concern. This is to put God's name and character in a category all to himself. There's no higher name. He's not just the highest name among other names. He's not just the valedictorian among others. He's not in first place. He's in his very own place. He's in a league of his own. Now, this is, of course, not a prayer that God would make himself holy. You know, God is already perfect. He's already perfectly holy. This is a prayer that God would be known and revered as holy, that he would be known as he truly is. Pastor John Piper says this is the main point of the prayer. There's six petitions. Here's the, the first petition. He says that the next five petitions are all meant to serve this one. Everything we pray, everything we do, to serve that petition, that God's name be honored and esteemed and exalted above all else here in this world. I mean, in a way, God's name is already the highest, but we still sang earlier, let your name be lifted higher. We pray that the world would recognize what's already true. That's what we're doing when we're praying this prayer. We pray that the whole world would see God the Father as holy and loving, that he would be seen as infinite and incredible, sovereign and stunning, powerful and personal. We pray that the world would see the Son of God as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, that he's the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, that he's the Prince of Peace, the Bread of Life the chief shepherd, the Lord of hosts, the faithful one, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And we pray this prayer that the, that the world would see the Holy Spirit of God as the great counselor and the great comforter, the great convictor. Redeemer Church, before we go any further in our prayers, Jesus is telling us to immerse ourselves into the wonder of who God is. This first half of the Lord's Prayer, these first three petitions have nothing to do with you and I, but everything to do with God. You praise before you petition. You say, oh, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name before you say, give me this day, our daily bread. You even praise before confession, hallowed be your name before forgive us of our debts. Petition is stating our needs. Confession is stating our struggles, our sin. But adoration and praise is simply looking up to God. When you start here, it changes our hearts. It begins to change our prayers. When we adore God, our prayer requests begin to resonate with God's heart. So friend, how's your adoration of God? Do you want God's name to be revered and loved above all else? I didn't ask you if you're praying. I'm asking, how's your adoring of God? Because we all pray in some ways. Most of us have no problem crying out to God when we're in trouble. Maybe our child is really sick or in the hospital or we get diagnosed with some disease and 
pretty much, we're, we're praying to God. We're asking for healing. We're telling our friends to pray. We have this prayer re request that we get out there and we ask for help. Money is tight. There's no job prospects. We've overstayed our visa. We're in a, a, a problem and we, we get help. There's a kind of prayer that happens only when our treasure or our well-being is at stake. Jesus is teaching us to pray in such a way that our greatest desire is not for anything, but our greatest desire is to simply enjoy God. So friends, do you only pray when you're in trouble? Big need arises, big stress comes, and it brings you to your knees. Or maybe you pray when things are good, everything is going great, and so you praise God for what he's done in your life. In the good times and in the desperate times, you pray, but those times are, are rare. What about on the ordinary day? What comes to your mind on a normal day? What, what do you pray for? It's Tuesday afternoon, maybe you're working, maybe you're with the, the kids, and your mind has some free space for a moment. Where does your mind wander to? What do you think about? What do you pray for? Do you pray for the new house you want? Do you think of love or beauty or business success, your bank account, career advancement? Well, Jesus says the first thing in our prayers needs to be the adoration of God. We start here. Well, how do we do this? Well, one thing you might do in your devotional times is just to get out your Bible. Always good to let the Word of God fuel our prayers. You might open up your Bible. You could pray through the contents of the Lord's Prayer right here. Or maybe you can open up to the book of Psalms. You can take one of the Psalms. I like to, to take Psalm 42, Psalm 46, and just you can walk through those or maybe a new Psalm or a Psalm that's meaningful to you. You could go to Paul's epistles and look at some of Paul's most magnificent prayers, and you could pray the truths of those prayers to God. You are our refuge and strength. You are our helper and deliverer. Oh, Father, you are the Lord of hosts, our hope and salvation. You could just make it a discipline that in the beginning of your prayers, you start out just by thanking God for who he is, that he's holy, that he's loving, that he's worthy of our praise. You could be sure to be studying about God, both in the scriptures, or you may get a good book like J.I. Packer's Knowing God on the Attributes of God, and you can study, and as you study, you can praise God for who he is. Now, before we ask God for anything, we talk to the Father about the Father. Then, and only then, the overflow of our adoration leads us to ask for the next five petitions starting with the second petition. Your kingdom come. So hallowed be your name. And we see the second petition here. Oh, our Father in heaven, let your kingdom come. This is a desire both for God's kingdom at the end to come and for God to bring his kingdom to bear people's hearts today. We pray for Jesus' return, that everything wrong will be made right. The kingdom is God's, at its full expression, is the healing of everything. All that's broken will be fixed. All injustice extinguished. This is to pray against disease and death. 
It's to pray for peace and God's reign on earth and our desire to see him reign over everything. Well, to pray this prayer also means we pray for people to come into the kingdom today. So we pray for that kingdom and its full consummation one day, but we pray that the kingdom would come to bear on people's hearts today, that God would resurrect dead souls and bring them to everlasting life. We want the kingdom of God's marvelous light to break into this present darkness. And so we pray for it now. We pray because we don't want another generation to pass away while they dwell in darkness. So we pray that all the broken and futile and worthless idols that people have set up in their own hearts will crumble and that Jesus Christ will reign supreme in the hearts of all. Is this what you're yearning for? Are you praying for God to save souls? One of my good friends sent me a text last week that was incredibly exciting. It reminded me of this passage. My friend recently filmed a documentary about God's work in Greece among refugees called Jesus in Athens. And now one year later, he was back on location in Athens, and he was showing the film he had made to a group of new believers there in Athens. And while he was showing the film, something crazy happened. In the film, there's a scene, there's a large scene of ministry in this big building feeding a large group of refugees a free spaghetti dinner. These followers of Christ, they hosted the dinner to show the love of Christ by their hospitality and by sharing the gospel message with those who came. And there was lots of people there. It was a huge bowl of spaghetti, like those big pots of biryani that we have here. There was a long line of refugees lining up for that big bowl of spaghetti. And while the scene was being played last week at the film screening in Athens, a woman in the audience couldn't believe it because there she was on the big screen. She's watching it and she says, wait, that, that, that's me. And she tells the filmmaker that, that that's me on the screen uh, there. Now, when they filmed that movie a year ago, this lady was just fresh off the boat. She was not a believer, didn't know Jesus. She was all alone, just coming there for the food and for the shelter and for the friendship. She ate her spaghetti dinner. She was able to hear a presentation of the gospel. See, this ministry hosting the dinner was praying this prayer for God's kingdom to come. They were boldly praying that the Lord would save these refugees. This is the reason they were serving the spaghetti. This is the reason they were preaching the gospel. They wanted these refugees from Iran and Iraq and from Syria to turn to Jesus to save them. These people had just arrived with nothing but the clothes on their back. And now one year later, there she was, this woman watching this documentary, seeing herself there in the video getting fed spaghetti. But this time, she was sitting with her husband, who are both now new believers in Christ who are being trained to be leaders in their local church there in Athens. Friends, this is what we pray for. This is what we pray for. Oh, Father, let the kingdom of God reign in the hearts of the lost. Oh, Father, change the hearts of men, women, and children in this part of the world. This is why we started Redeemer Church of Dubai, to see the least reached reached with the gospel. And so we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your 
kingdom come. Oh, Father, would you break through the hearts of university students on campuses here? Oh, Father, would you change the hearts of our coworkers? Oh, would our neighbors come to know you? Would they repent of their sin and trust in Jesus to save themselves? Oh, even for the most hardened hearts, we pray that God would resurrect the dead. Redeemer Church, is your prayer time concerned with the salvation of souls or just your own personal comforts? Are your prayers big prayers that God's name would rule in the hearts of everyone made in his image? And some of us need a radical reorientation in our prayer lives. Our prayers are far too small. I think we're praying for for things far too little. We need to pray that God would raise dead hearts to life. We need to pray big prayers knowing that God can do it, knowing that God can work miracles. I think our prayers are far too insignificant. We're praying for little earthly comforts when we should be coming to our Father in heaven praying that he would save lives. Let's ask God to save the impossible, the hardest to reach people, our neighbors who mock Jesus, those around us who seem to have no perceived needs. Let's pray bold prayers, Redeemer Church. Well, Jesus is telling us that mission needs to be at the center of our prayers. Hallowed be your name and let your kingdom come. Well, the third petition continues the same thought. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on heaven, in heaven as it is on earth. When we pray this third petition, we're saying to God, God, do what you want, not what I want. It's a prayer of surrender. Now, this isn't easy for us to pray. I'll be honest, this is a, a difficult one to pray. It's like a four-year-old talking to their father. When four-year-olds ask their dad for something and dad doesn't give it, well, why not? Why does the father not give his son all that he requests? Well, it's often, not always, but it's often because the father sees some things that the son can't see. So when the child asks for dinner, for ice cream, for dinner every single night, the father can see better than that. No, you can't have ice cream for dinner every night. No, you can't play with the steak knives in a game of ninja warrior battle with your brother. No, you can't jump off the balcony like Tarzan. Now, of course, when the child hears this, the four-year-old child melts down. There's tears because he thinks he knows better. He thinks he knows better than dad does. Well, that's our problem in prayer. We get upset when things don't go our way, when we don't get things from God, because we think deep down we know better than God does. Our reaction to God reveals our heart towards God. Our heart says, my kingdom come, my will be done or else. So when we pray this prayer, Lord, your will be done, we're acknowledging that God knows what he's doing. We're asking him to do what he's planned and wants to do, not what we want. Oh, Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, evil and sin are completely extinguished. It's perfect. We're all worshiping God and in perfect fellowship together. There's no selfish desires. Now, praying this prayer is relinquishing of our ungodly 
earthly desires. I mean, do you see? Every time we sin, we're making a statement to God that we know better than God does. We think that whatever the sin is, it will bring us joy, even if God says it won't. Praying this prayer is laying down the burden of having to know what's right. It's acknowledging our limitations. God, you know better. It's a prayer of lordship. I don't know why for 13 years God has allowed and even ordained me to suffer from the nerve pain in my arms I mentioned last week. I don't know all of God's reasons, but I know it has something to do with seeing his name be hallowed and seeing his kingdom come. I don't know all the reasons for why you, friend, are in pain. So many of you are going through so many difficult trials and tribulations, hardships. I don't have all the answers as to why. You and I can't see all of God's purposes and designs, but we can see here in Scripture that God's chief concern is for his glory and his kingdom. And we know that our God is a good father. We know that he's always doing millions of things that we can't see right now. We know that he's not wasting anything. We know that the outcome will be glory. And so we can trust him even when we don't understand what's happening. Let your will be done. I want what you want, God. Well, unfortunately, all of us struggle with praying this prayer. This goes against our sinful nature and desires. We've all failed and have lived for our own wills. We've all followed Adam and Eve's lead and lived apart from God. And the Bible calls this sin. Our pursuit of security, significance, and love apart from God is a rejection of God. And the Bible says for rejecting a holy God, the one who created us, that our judgment is death. There's no hope on our own. But the good news we hold out is that the only hope we have is, is in the one who actually prayed this prayer and lived it out. And there's only one who did, and that's Jesus, God in the flesh who's come to us. Because when he came to this earth, there he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And there as he awaited the cross, he looked up at the cup of God the Father's wrath, and instead of backing away from the worst judgment, what did he do? Well, he prayed this prayer. Oh, Father, not my will, but yours be done. He marched to the cross. He went there dying the death that we deserved. It was there that the sins of God's people were laid upon him instead of us. Oh, friends, because Jesus prayed this prayer and because he lived it out, we have hope and we can have confidence in praying it ourselves. If Jesus was willing to pray this and be obedient to death, even death on a cross, this is a God we can trust. We can open up our hands and say, Father, your will be done. If you don't know this, God, you will always worry and struggle and be anxious when things don't go well. But friend, you need to know that this is a God you can trust with your life. If you don't yet know him, turn from your sins. Trust in Jesus to save you, and he will save you from judgment. But not only will he save you from the judgment of death, but he saves you into a relationship. Well, if Jesus died to save you, you can trust him with your life. 
You can then pray, pray this same prayer too. Redeemer Church, open up your hands and pray, let his will be done. God's ways are better than our ways. And so we see here with the first three petitions that this is how we are to begin our prayers. Hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. And then after all that, after we've adored God, after we've praised God, we finally get to the first petition for ourselves halfway through the prayer. And we see this, and this is the fourth petition. Give us this day our daily bread. The prayer now moves from God and his decrees to our personal needs. Give us bread. Bread is symbolizing what one needs to survive. It doesn't say give us our daily cheesecake or tenderloin filet. It says bread. If Jesus was talking to Italians, it would be give us this day our daily spaghetti. If you're talking to a Filipino, we know that it's only a merienda and not a meal if there's no rice. So for you, it would be give us this day our daily rice. It's your sustenance. Give us this day our bread. It's what we need to survive. Now, the word daily has been difficult to translate. It's a word not used in classical Greek literature, and it's actually only used in the New Testament twice, both times in connection with the Lord's Prayer. So here in Matthew, and then later on in Luke's Gospel. One clue as to what it means is that several years ago on a piece of papyrus paper, archaeologists found an ancient grocery list that had listed a number of different items, some of which are perishable. And next, next to those perishable items was that word where we get daily. Well, the point seems to be that it's perishable, that we're to trust God for our daily provision in a day when many workers were paid one day at a time, a sickness would have been tragic for you. You might not have food for the next day, and so you would pray, Lord, give us this daily bread. Give us enough bread for the day. When we pray this, we're confessing our dependence on God, that he's the one who provides for us. Now, there's a scene in an old movie where the dad eats a meal with his children. His wife normally did all the praying, but he's just there with the kids, and the kids are telling dad that he has to lead them in the prayers for the night. So the dad reluctantly says, okay, and he prayed. And his prayer went something like this. Dear Lord, thank you for this meal. We plowed the ground. We planted the seed. We pulled the weeds. We harvested the wheat. We ground the flour. We baked the bread. But thank you, Lord, for this meal. Amen. And we chuckle at that, but that's really no prayer at all, is it? As Christians, we see things differently. We pray for our daily bread, knowing that it is God who gives it to us. He's the one who provides for us. It's a gift. Now, many of us haven't struggled with needing our daily bread. We've never wondered what we'll eat tomorrow. We actually pray the opposite. Many of us are on diets. Oh, Lord, help me not be tempted. Help me not to eat that third cookie. We go to bookstores, and the shelves are full of new diets and diet plans. Most of us have too much access to food. Now, it might not be filet mignon. It may just be rice. But most of us have 
more than enough. Most of us have enough food to warrant having a refrigerator. Our distraction in our prayers isn't whether we'll have food for lunch. It's what are we going to eat for lunch? Will we order from this place or that place? Who are we going to eat with? When I open up my calendar and look at it, I don't look at it wondering whether I'm going to eat on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I make plans for who I'm going to eat with and what I'm going to eat. But the Lord tells us to pray for our daily provision. It's a fascinating prayer. And as I thought about it this week, four observations came to my mind. Just four things. Number one, this prayer is the complete opposite of the prosperity gospel. It's the complete opposite of prosperity theology. Prosperity theology teaches us to pray for wealth. It says that if we're faithful, if we're good to God, and we pray for the things that we want, that God will pay us back, that God owes something, that God will give us the desires of our hearts, not just our needs, but our wants and our desires. But Jesus teaches us another way to pray, to pray for enough for the day. It's the opposite of praying for riches. Do you see that? You actually, if you walk through these prayers that I mentioned to you earlier, if you look through the scriptures and you walk through the Bible's instruction and model prayers, you don't see people praying for earthly riches. You actually see the opposite. Listen to this prayer in Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. And then listen to this. God, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. I heard Francis Chan teach on this and challenge his congregation with the question, have you ever prayed this prayer? Give me neither poverty nor riches. I mean, that's what the author of Proverbs is praying here. God, don't make me rich. Whatever you do, don't make me rich. I wonder how many of us have prayed that prayer. Is this on your prayer list? Oh, God, whatever you do, don't give me too much money. God, I know you're in control. I know that you're sovereign. I, I want your will to be done. But, 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 but please, let your will not be me having too much. Now, notice he also prays, don't give me poverty. Provide me my daily bread so I won't be tempted to steal. But don't give me too much that I'm tempted to deny you. Don't make me empty, but don't give me everything. Now, it's been said of the Lord's Prayer that this is a prayer for our needs, not our greeds. Well, the Bible doesn't tell us to pray for riches. It's because it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Riches won't solve all our problems. It could cause more. Instead, trust God to provide what he wants to provide for you. Pray for provision for the day and steward what finances come in for God's glory. 
This is what we're going to be talking about in our finance course starting today. It's why Jimmy Poon and Craig Plum and Andrew Furman have worked hard to put these materials together because we as a church want to honor God with his money. Now, this prayer is the complete opposite of prosperity theology that we hear all the time. Give us this day our daily bread. Well, here's a second observation. Second observation, this petition may mean we should be in a position where we have to pray for our needs. Maybe we should be in a position where we have to pray for our daily needs. This is something I'm just pondering. I don't know exactly. I don't know for sure that this is implied here. But I wonder if implied here in the text is that we're not supposed to be hoarding wealth. I mean, we know that's true from other places in Scripture. But I wonder if what Jesus is saying here is, sure, it's wise to prepare for the future, but it's sinful to hoard because Christians should be generous. If we have two loaves and our brother or sister has none, well, then we have one loaf and our brother or sister has one loaf. I wonder if we're never praying this prayer. I wonder if it means that we have too much. Maybe we should pray and ask God to give us direction on how to be more generous. Well, here's a third observation. Third observation is that we should pray for our physical needs. Right? Those first three petitions are about God, but here in the fourth petition, Jesus models for us praying for our physical needs. Jesus cared about physical needs. Jesus healed diseases. He cared about people's pain. He fed his followers. I love the imagery of the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus had been teaching for hours and hours and hours. It was late at night. You might remember the disciples were saying, let's just send them on their way. We're done. And Jesus said, well, wait, wait, wait. It's late. The stores aren't open. The people are hungry. And he fed them. He fed them so much they were full and there was baskets of food left over. Well, friends, some of you are in desperate situations. Maybe you know what food you'll eat today, but maybe you are truly worried about next week or maybe next month. You have no idea how you will eat. You have no idea how you'll pay your kids' school fees or you have a rent check out there with your landlord and you just don't know how you'll get enough money in your bank account for that check not to bounce. You're in crippling debt. Well, friend, this is an invitation from God to come to him with what seems like ordinary requests. The Lord's Prayer teaches us Christians should pray for extraordinary things, but also for ordinary things. The God who is the creator and sustainer of the universe, the one who rules over everything, the one who will usher his kingdom in at the end, also cares about our daily needs. I hope you see how supremely comforting this prayer is. Well, here's a fourth observation, and I'll, I'll close with this. We should pray for the physical needs of our community. We should pray for our community. This is not simply a prayer for your personal needs. It's not about your needs, but our needs. Distinctly Christian prayer asks God to give us this day our daily bread. It's a prayer for the community. Our concern is to make sure our community has daily bread. 
And so when you list out your petitions, Jesus is saying that we are to have the concern of the community in our prayers. It's because we're one body, and when one member of the body hurts, we all hurt. So we have the whole body in mind all the time. This is a prayer about God, but it's also a prayer about others. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, and give us this day our daily bread. Those first three petitions are God-centered and really just adoration. And then here we have the very first petition for ourselves. And even here it's not self-centered, but others-centered. Now our prayers are to first look up to God and then second to look out to others. And so Redeemer Church, how are your prayers? pray for? What's on your prayer list? Are you praying like Jesus? Well, in our prayers, let's first start by talking to the Father about the Father, and then let's go to him with our most personal needs, with one eye on God and one eye on the rest of the community. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, let your kingdom come and your will be done. Help us trust you with the little things and the big things. We thank you for Jesus and his death for us because he prayed this prayer and because he marched through the cross. We know we can look to you and to trust you and to lean not on our own understanding, but to acknowledge you because you will make our paths straight. Oh, Father, we thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.